All right, so if you have your Bibles, please open to Philippians chapter 3. We'll be looking at verses 10 and 11 this morning. Every song we've sung this morning, especially that last one, it's about our desire to know Jesus, our desire to walk with Him, to know Him more truly and more fully. That's the title of my sermon this morning, That I May Know Him. Now, all of us have things we love to learn about. We love to talk about things that intrigue us and keep our attention, things that fascinate us and might be very weird to other people, but we find them fascinating. Many of us take up new hobbies that we have, when we have sufficiently learned or somewhat mastered another or have become bored with something else, whether that be woodworking or gardening or photography, playing an instrument, bird watching, fishing, hunting, sewing, scrapbooking, or golf. I've watched some of you play golf. You need to learn a lot more about it. Um, and so, but we all love to learn things, right? There's nothing wrong with the desire to know something and master something. None of those things, though, hear me, none of those things should have the same place in our lives as knowing Jesus, as walking with Jesus. Knowing Christ, hear me, knowing Christ is the most important thing in your existence. It's, it's what separates heaven and hell. Eternity hangs in the balance about whether or not you know Jesus. Knowing Jesus, I cannot say it more clearly that knowing Christ is the most important thing in our existence. It is the only thing of eternal significance and eternal joy. And so for Paul, as we're going to see today in Philippians, his greatest desire, his greatest passion was to know Jesus. Hear me. The one who loved him. The one who gave himself up for Paul. Paul could not quench this desire to know Jesus. The one who has all power. The one who is the sum and substance of all wisdom and knowledge. The one who is all sufficient and all satisfying. And my prayer is that God will give all of us that same desire today. Don't you want to leave today with a greater desire to know Jesus and walk with Him? There's nothing better than that. So let's read Philippians chapter 3. And I'm going to start back, um, we'll start back in verse 7 because this is the context. If you remember from last week, Paul is giving all these reasons he could boast in himself, but ultimately his boast is Jesus. Listen to what he says in verse 7. He says, but whatever gain I had, anything that's gain in his life, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Everything is pale in comparison to knowing Christ as Lord. He says, for his sake I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and may share in His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death, and by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection of the dead. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading of His Word. I want to break this into four simple phrases this morning. First, look at verse 10, where Paul says that everything is about knowing Christ. 
knowing Christ. He says, that I may know him. Now, it's been 30 years, some 30 years since Paul has met Jesus on the road to Damascus in Acts chapter 9. That was the place where Paul, once for all, met Jesus and was transformed by his grace. That was the day that Paul received his new accounting system. From that point on, Paul said, I would count everything as loss for the surpassing value of knowing Christ. And it was at this point that that new and never satisfied desire, that that ever longing hope awoke in Paul's heart to know Christ better, to know him more fully to know Christ intensely, personally, passionately. That was Paul's aim ever since that moment some 30 years ago. He's never wavered in that one desire. Now, if you see there in verse 9, Paul's longing. He says that I might be found in him, having Christ's righteousness as his own. And so now Paul, having been found in Christ by faith, having been united to him by faith, having Christ's righteousness Paul says that now he wants to know the one in whom he's been found. That was Paul's desire. Now I want to stop here and just camp for a second. When Paul says that I may know Christ, there are three ways of knowing something. There are three ways of knowing something as human beings. The first way we know something is educationally, through educational type knowledge. This is learning or being taught something. Like, for example, Abraham Lincoln was the 16th president of the United States. You can know that. That's a historical fact. You can know that by study and by observation. You can even ask Siri, and she will try to give you the answer to that question, who was the 16th president of the United States. Even Siri has some educational knowledge. But knowing certain facts or having some understanding is only one-third of actually knowing something. The second way of knowing something is through practical or through experiential knowledge. Now go back to asking Siri something or Googling something. They may be able to provide information and facts or some details, but they cannot provide any practical or experiential knowledge because Siri and Google have never experienced anything. Sure, they have algorithms, they have search engines programmed by people, but not any experience of their own. And the Bible teaches us that there is something beyond knowing a fact and entering into the experience of something. For example, the Bible says this in Job 28, 28, to fear the Lord is wisdom and to turn away from evil is understanding. So you can know that something is evil, but until you actually practice it and turn away from it, you do not have the second part of that knowledge. So what that means is, The Bible teaches us that nothing is truly known until it becomes a part of our daily living. This is the second sense in which educational knowledge is put into effect. They Listen, it's like this. It's like the cat who jumps on a hot stove and is burned. The cat now has an experience with stoves. The cat won't even jump on a cold stove after that, right? Because it's had some practical understanding that stoves could be hot. Now that is practical or experiential knowledge, but there's a third way of knowing something, and that is the most important. The third way is through personal or relational knowledge. 
This is the kind of knowledge, this kind of knowledge is what social media tries to imitate. It's what it tries to give the illusion of. Social media wants you to think that you can really know and have a relationship with people that you've never met, that you've never shared a meal with or been in the same room with, that you've never shared love and affection towards. Now, this personal relational knowledge is the deepest and most intimate way of knowing one another. It's knowing, loving, and understanding each other as persons in relationship with each other. And by the way, this is why virtual church doesn't work. It's okay when you're sick to be at home and, and do that, but you can't obey the commands of Scripture unless you actually get with one another and actually love one another and exhort one another and bear one another's burdens and hug one another when we're hurting and comfort one another when we're sorrowful. It's important. You can't do that sitting on your couch. You can't obey the commands of Scripture doing that. It, this is why this is Paul's point here, right? So this is part of our being made in the image of God who exists eternally in interpersonal relationship as the Trinity. This is us being made in God's image for relationship with one another. This kind of knowledge and knowing is Paul's main desire. Paul longs to know Christ intimately and personally and to be satisfied with Him and in Him and to become like Him. So hear me. Jesus isn't just some academic or educational or emotional experience for Paul. We can be in danger of that. We can treat Jesus as an academic exercise. Just study, analyze him, put him under the microscope, but that'll never lead you to loving him. That'll never lead you to adoring him. So it's not even some, like I said, it's not even some emotional experience. People can long for emotional experiences. That's, some, that's okay, but that doesn't necessarily mean you know Jesus. Okay, Jesus isn't about having those kind of things. And Jesus isn't about having some practical knowledge about how to morally improve his life or conduct. Well, you need Jesus so you'll improve your moral conduct. That's not it either. See, here's the point. Jesus, as a real living person... The risen and reigning Lord of the universe, Jesus as a real living person, is Paul's highest joy and delight. You can know facts about Jesus. Everybody in the South will say Jesus is Lord. You can know facts about Jesus. That's a fact. You can know facts about Jesus, and you can have some experiential knowledge of him or even some emotional experience of him, but that doesn't mean you actually know him intimately, personally, in relationship where he is all, where you are all about him, all right? Now, it needs to be added to this knowing someone intimately and relationally. Here, this is so important. In a relationship, it has to go two ways. It has to go two ways, two directions. It's not simply enough to know facts or have practical knowledge. I can tell you some facts about my grandfather, I can tell you some facts about my grandfather. I can show you pictures of some of the things we experienced together. I had a wonderful, had two wonderful grandfathers. But that is not the same as knowing him. It's not the same as him knowing you. It's not the same as loving him. I loved my grandfather, both of them. And it's not the same as you experiencing his love for you, right? We know that. We know that. This is, this is the truth 
behind Matthew 7. Listen to what happens in Matthew 7, 21 through 23. It says, Jesus says this, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Those are people who know Jesus as Lord. Not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, tell truths in your name? Did we not cast demons out in your name? And do my, many mighty works in your name. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. You see how this goes two ways? You might know some things about Jesus, but Jesus says here, I never knew you. Depart from me. Paul's greatest desire is to know Jesus because Jesus knows him. Jesus met Paul on the road to Damascus and Paul met Jesus. So a relationship must go both ways. So knowing Christ, but there's a second truth, and that is knowing Christ's power. Knowing Christ's power. Look at the end of verse 10. He says, and the power of his resurrection. Paul says here, Paul connects two thoughts that form the basis of his outlook on life and ministry. He wants to know Christ and walk in the power that was at work in Christ when he was raised from the dead. Now remember Acts 9, okay? Paul had an experience with Christ in Acts 9, but what kind of experience did he have? Paul had an experience with the resurrected Christ, the one who had been raised from the dead and proved himself to be Lord. And so on that day, on that day, Paul was radically transformed by the risen Christ, and he knew the power that Christ possessed. It was the same power that was at work in Christ's dead, in Paul's dead heart to bring him to spiritual life. The power that worked to raise Christ from the dead was at work in Paul's life to bring spiritual life to his dead soul. Now, why do I say that? The New Testament connects two ideas. The idea of conversion and resurrection. It speaks of them as the same thing. That when you are converted to Jesus, you are spiritually raised to life. It's the, those ideas go together. Okay, it is the same power um, to be converted is to come out of spiritual death into spiritual life. It's the same power of God that raises the dead that brings us to spiritual life. Listen to Ephesians chapter 2. He says this, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of the world, the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now in work, and the sons of disobedience. That's spiritual death. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. What do spiritually dead people need? They don't need aspirin. That's a joke. Spiritually dead people don't need aspirin. They don't need to be told to do better. They don't need to be told to pick yourself up by your bootstraps. What do spiritually dead people need? They need spiritual life. That's what they need. They need spiritual life. They need resurrection, right? That's, that's what the point. Now listen to verses 4 through 6 that I quoted in my prayer earlier, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead, made us alive together with Christ. We were dead, now we're alive. We were not converted, now we're converted. We were spiritually not alive, dead, now we're born again. Now, I'm only belaboring this point because it's critical to our new life in Christ as believers. If we're going to live with the same passion and purpose that Paul lived for Jesus, then we have to have the same power at work in us. If you're going to be as passionate for Jesus as Paul was, then you need the same power at work in you. 
All right? We have to desire to know Christ and the power of His resurrection. We need to pray this way. Again, listen to Paul's word in 2 Corinthians 4. Paul says this, We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. It's not our power. This is God's power. He says we're afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus. So he says we walk around as Christians like lambs to be slaughtered. We are crushed, persecuted, perplexed, struck down, but we keep persevering. Something keeps happening to us on the inside that renews us day to day, and that's the resurrection power of Christ in the life of believers. Listen to what he says. He says, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may be made known in our bodies. For we who live are always given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in us. That's the paradox of the Christian life. The path to life is the path to death, and the path to death is the path to life. That we, because of Christ's death, have been made alive. And because of Christ's life, we now, because of Christ's death, we are now made alive in Christ, and we walk with Him in His power. Remember, Paul's most famous statement of this is Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. I've died with Him. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God. So the way we experience the resurrection power of Christ is by faith in His name, trusting for His power to be at work in us even when we are weak, even when we are, are, are struggling, even when we are suffering. So Paul's heart and purpose is to know Christ be found in him, and he wants Jesus' life to be his life. Jesus' resurrection to be his resurrection. Jesus' righteousness to be his righteousness. And Paul wants a third thing. It's a difficult thing. But Paul wants to know the fellowship of Christ's suffering. He wants to know Christ, the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of his suffering. Look there at the end of verse 10. He says that I may share in his suffering. Now the word for share is the same word for fellowship. Paul has already used it four times in Philippians. He says in Philippians 1.5 that he commends the Philippian church for their fellowship in the gospel. He says in Philippians 1.7 that they fellowshiped with him in grace. In Philippians 2.1 he tells them that they share fellowship in the spirit and now Paul says he desires to have fellowship in Christ's suffering. Now, that is a very different way of speaking of fellowship than when we have a potluck. Very different, right? We might desire to have a fellowship around fried chicken, but how many of us would pray that we would fellowship in Christ's sufferings? Now, Paul so desperately wanted to know Jesus that he even wanted to join him in his suffering. He so wanted to be with Christ that if Christ was suffering, he wanted to join Christ in it. Paul was willing to suffer with Christ because Christ suffered with his people. Now, this was one of the first lessons Paul learned in Acts 9. If you go back to Acts 9 and read Paul's conversion, this is one of the first truths that Paul learned. When Jesus struck Paul down with blindness on the side of the road to Damascus, what's the first thing that Jesus said? Paul, Saul, Saul, 
Why are you persecuting me? Jesus didn't say, why are you persecuting my people? Jesus said, why are you persecuting me, not my followers? So Jesus identifies with his people such that he suffers with them. And that's, Paul wants that to be his heart. That Jesus, I want to walk so closely with you that I'm willing to suffer with you with your people. I'm willing to go to prison and suffer with you for your people. Now look back at chapter 1, verse 29, and there's a key here. Flip back to Philippians 1 and look at verse 29. We preached this months ago, so I won't preach it again. No, wait, I'm lying. Here we go. Paul says, he says, For it has been granted, literally graced, for it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Believing in Christ and suffering for Christ are both gifts of God to His people that lead to greater fellowship with Christ. Some of you have had this experience. Have you not known that in your suffering and in your struggles, that is when Jesus' presence is most felt? There is a difference between going through life and all comfort and all joy and all the times, and you not being as aware of Jesus' comfort and presence as when you were struggling. When you were in the deepest, darkest valley, that is when you know more precisely the love and comfort of Jesus and his presence. The same grace that was given you to believe is the same grace that will be present for you when you suffer. Karl Barth said it this way, the grace of being permitted to believe in Christ is surpassed by the grace of being permitted to suffer for him, of being permitted to walk the way of Christ with Christ himself to the perfection of fellowship with him. So what this means is the more you know Christ, Hear me. The more you know Christ, the more you will suffer. And the more you'll be willing to suffer. The closer you walk with Jesus, the more you will suffer. Because through many trials, we must, must enter the kingdom of God. But also, the more you will be willing to suffer. There's something about walking close in fellowship with Jesus that changes our outlook to the point where we're going, Jesus, if this is what you want for me, I'm willing to go through it. Because I know you're going with me. And I'd rather walk through suffering with you than walk through comfort, the comforts of this world without you. That's the point, right? At the same time, here it is. The more you know Christ, the more you will suffer and be willing to suffer. And at the same time, the more you will experience his daily strength and resurrection power. That is what is true. Paul makes this clear in 1 Corinthians again. He says, so we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. So we want to know the fellowship of Christ's suffering and finally to be conformed to Christ. Paul's final desire here, he says, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings, to be conformed like him even in his death. To become like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection of the dead. Now this sums it all up for Paul. His desire is to know Christ and to become like him. To be made in the image of the one he knows and loves. And this is how that process looks. So if you're taking notes, this is how that process unfolds in our lives. We live by Christ's resurrection power, by faith. We suffer with Christ. We are conformed to his death. And we are transformed into his image. Now all of this is sure. Why? 
how do we know all of this is sure? Is this just some pie in the sky hope that Paul has? Remember, he's in prison. No. No, the reason Paul knows this is true is because Jesus has really been raised from the dead. Everything in Paul's life is tied to this resurrection certainty and truth about Jesus. Jesus' resurrection ensures our resurrection, and there's no hint of doubt in it for Paul. Some people read this and go, Paul's not sure if he's going to be resurrected one day. Paul's not sure about it. Paul is not unsure that it will happen. What Paul is unsure about is how it will happen. He's not, he's not, he doesn't know how it's going to happen, right? He might be crucified. He might be beheaded. He might live to a ripe old age and die in his sleep. But either way, he will be conformed to Christ in his death. And Paul will go down whatever path Christ chooses so that he can be made like him. And that has to be our desire. Here's my question. Do you want to be conformed to Christ or not? Do you? That's Paul's greatest desire, that I may know him, the power of his resurrection, to share in his sufferings, to be conformed like him even in his death. It doesn't mean I'm going to be crucified on a cross, but it does mean you'll live a crucified life. The question is, do you really want to be conformed to the image of Jesus? And if you trust Jesus, and he says, going down this road leads to greater fellowship with me, greater conformity to my image, greater death to sin, death to self, greater joy and comfort in my fellowship, are you willing to go down it? Because that is really the question, right? Because here's the point. After we follow Christ into his death, we follow him into his resurrection and into eternal glory. And that is sure and certain. Now, is this not any wonder as I close this up? Is it no wonder if this is, Christ, if this is Paul's desire? Is it no wonder if this is who Paul is at his heart, wanting to know Jesus? Is it no wonder that Christ is the substance of Paul's prayers? Everything about Paul's prayers is, I am praying to know him. Lord Jesus, help me to know him. Is that also, is it not a wonder that this is why Christ is the source of Paul's strength? Christ is at the bottom of Paul's strength. That Christ is the satisfier of Paul's soul. That Christ is the sustainer in Paul's suffering. It's because Jesus is Paul's everything. Excuse me. Now, here, here it is. The same must be true for us. The same has to be true for us. We must strive to know all of who Christ is with all of who we are. To love Him with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. And to know Christ's heart, Christ's mind, Christ's soul, and Christ's strength. So my question as I wrap this up is, do you know Jesus? That's Paul's whole desire here. Paul met Him 30 years ago on the road to Damascus and he's never been the same. He's been growing in greater fellowship and greater obedience and in greater knowledge and holiness before Christ this whole time, do you know Jesus? Or better yet, does Jesus know you? Because this is a two-way relationship. Does Jesus know you? Is Jesus your highest and greatest aim? And I'll say here, you cannot know Christ apart from a personal relationship with Him through repentance and faith. It's not enough to come to church. It's not enough to go to Sunday school. It's not enough to do those things. You have to come to Christ in repentance and faith, 
asking Him to be Lord. You must be given spiritual life and spiritual resurrection. You must be given, you must be born again and receive His Spirit. You cannot know Christ apart from His resurrection. He is the living, resurrected, and reigning Lord, and His power is at work in those who believe, causing them to die to themselves, take up their cross, and follow Him. And that is the question for us today. Do you know Jesus? I want to pray for us, and then we'll have a time of invitation. And I want you to ponder that question. Do you know Jesus? And is He your greatest desire? Let us pray. Father, bless Your Word today as we've heard it. I pray, Father, that our heart's goal, our heart's desire would be to know Christ. And Lord, may that show up practically daily in our lives as we open your word, as we spend time in prayer, in fellowship with you, as we walk with you in obedience, as we read your word daily and soak it in. Father, may we walk by your spirit and be conformed to Christ even in suffering. Father, bless this time. We pray this in Jesus' name.